we're in Acts chapter 9, and uh, when you think of Acts chapter 9, usually you think of, I don't know, I don't know what you think of, but when you think of Acts, <laughs> <laughs> typically when you go to Acts chapter 9, that's where you, you read about Saul's conversion, and Saul will talk about, you know, that later on in his life, you know, Paul's conversion, but he's still Saul uh, in uh, this, this point of scripture, and, um, and so that's usually kind of where you think, because that, that, that big uh, two-thirds of that, that chapter is speaking about how God miraculously transformed his life. And again, he's on the road to Damascus to drag Christians back to Jerusalem, throw them in jail, maybe even have them uh, stand trial and, and maybe executed. Um, and that was on his mind and his heart, and Jesus stopped him right dead in his tracks and just changed his life forever. And so he got pulled into the church, and we see kind of what happened. It was actually a three-year span of events that Luke is just kind of like rattling off. Like he went to Damascus, and then he was, you know, then um, Ananias came and landed, laid his hands on him, and then uh, next, you know, he was arguing with people in the synagogues or, or speaking and, and reasoning with them, and then they wanted him dead, and then so he flees you know, Damascus, um, and heads to Jerusalem, and then same thing happens, he's preaching with people, talking to people, and the, the, Jewish, uh, the Jews wanted him killed, and so he's sent off to Tarsus, where he's from. And so it's kind of like a three-year period that, you know, you wouldn't really know that, other than in Galatians, he talks about the fact that he goes to Damascus, he spent some time in Arabia, and after three years had passed, he goes down to Jerusalem, and he only spent 15 days in Jerusalem. So we kind of pull all those things together to see how these events Unfold, And so now it's going to shift um, back to Peter, who had a prominent role up to, you know, all the way through chapter 8, um, chapter 7, really, uh, and um, see what's, what's going on with the church back in Jerusalem. You know, Damascus is kind of, you know, north outside of Israel proper. And so we're kind of like, what's going back, going on back in that area? Um, so really, we're, we're going to see kind of some events that happen as Peter is just kind of, Going about, you know, what he normally goes about. Uh, and I, as I was thinking about this, because um, sometimes you kind of think like, well, why, why are these events like described? And really like Luke's going to start kind of describing events that like, well, he went here and then he was asked to come here and then he was asked to come here and this big thing happens, which we won't get to until next week um, to get into some of the details. But it's kind of like as you go along from one thing to another. And I kind of thought uh, as I was thinking about like sometimes... When I go, when, when my wife and I have gone on like vacations or maybe trips to places that we've never been, um, sometimes we kind of leave like some room for, you know, exploring. Uh, how many of you guys are like, you, you know, there's probably some who are like, I just want to like sign up for the tour and you tell me where to go and, you know, you kind of direct me where to go and I know all the highlights to see, which is, which is good. You're told what to do. You kind of see all the things. You know you won't miss anything. Um, and then there's like the other spectrum. You go without a plan and you're like, let's just see you know, where this takes us. All right, so how many of you guys are like, you know, itinerary, you know, you sign up for the plan, show me where to go. Can anybody be honest about this? All right, so, you know, it's okay, it's okay, right? <laughs> so how many are on the other side? You're like, we're probably somewhere in the middle, right? You know, but, but how many on the other side, you're like, we're just going to show up, right? You know, you're like, I don't even know what this place is like. Like, you know, show up and just, you know, see where it leads to. You have those adventures? Okay, so... Now, you're on that side where you just show up. There's probably, like, 
don't know, maybe, maybe you guys are different, but there's probably some things that come like There's like a lot of like reward, right? Because you're like one thing maybe lead to another, but there's also a lot of risk because you're like, I don't know where to eat. I don't know what to do. Oh man, everything's closed by now, you know? And so sometimes those things can happen. Um, does anyone have like a kind of a fun exper- experience where like, you know, you just kind of went in and all of a sudden like somebody said, hey, you need to go here and you went there and then, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a cool, fun, fun thing. Anyone want to share? I know. It's always like share time. What's that? I had a planned event. You had a planned event. Okay. Okay. So you close to Grand Canyon, you got to go to Monument Valley. Okay. Okay, and this was in the late 70s. Okay. Well, I don't think the roads were in Monument Valley like they are today. Okay. That's where all the dog food commercials and all the Westerns were made. Yeah. And I also took them to the Petrified Forest. Okay. Well, Two, uh, two boys and my wife didn't appreciate those two visits. You know. So it was like, look at this Monument Valley. This is in every commercial you know, for dog food and what? <laughs> dog food? I don't know. Is that. <laughs> Are there dogs? Are there. Things that have fallen over and they're, they're stone now. Okay. I'm expecting a forest. <laughs> so are the boys. <laughs> they were all young. So you got yeah. So sometimes you have this conception of like how it's going to be, and you're like, "Is this it?" Um, I think I, yeah, I think I shared our Grand Canyon experience. We had we had we had uh, one of those, uh, you know, we had one of those those trips where um, we went to on our our uh, we got married in Mexico, and then we took our it was kind of a, that adventure. We took our our honeymoon was in Belize, so we took actually a bus to Belize from from Mexico. It was about a three hour. I don't know, maybe what's that? I said bus, but oh, 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 <laughs> yeah. I was like, we weren't riding goats. I don't know. Do people do that? Uh, were there goats? I don't think so. But I think I think there was kind of like well, what we sh- so when we showed up, you know, so so part, you know, there's probably a lot that came out of this. But when we showed up, we got to the bus terminal that took the the way to transfer buses at, in in the I think it was in the capital city that went west, and then our first night was like out there. But it was the first. Uh, the first, like, the last bus of the evening. And so we got our tickets. The guy said, whatever you do, just get on the bus, you know, because like, it's the last one. So I was like, okay. So we're, like, lining up, and, like, people are starting to push on, and I was, like, getting separated. I was like, Sarah, you know. I was like, I'll get a seat. Just get on, you know. And so she got on. So we got, we got on there. And then, you know, when you take the bus, people were just like, can I get off, you know. And so they just stop. And, and so um, – it's just wherever the people want to. So we got there, like, late, and, like, the hotel was closed. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that went along with that. But one of the things that we did, so, there's, so that was, like, first night. Anyway, uh, one of the things that we did was we didn't want to take the, one of the commercial, like, you know, uh, trip to, because you can always sign up for excursions through tour groups, um, to go to some of the ruins that are around. And so we actually rented a, did we rent a Jeep? Okay, so we rented a Jeep. And went to the ruins, and you know that was it was fun because we got there like on an off time, and we were like the only ones around, and so it was pretty, pretty amazing just like walking around like, and they had you know stuff just sitting there, you know like that it looked like they had been working on and excavating, and you're like, is this okay? Can we touch this? I don't you know. So it's like it was abandoned. It was really really fun, um, kind of a neat experience. And in that time, somebody said, well, when you go to this other city, make sure you meet up with this guy who's going to take you, who would take you on a dive in the coral reefs. And uh, that was a really fun experience. We got to go swimming with sharks, and you know that kind of was one thing that like, led to another. You know, we've also had experiences where we were, we were back in Mexico and we decided to rent a car and. 
to go to the ruins, and I was like, we don't need a map, you know, it's like a road, you know, and it was like a two-hour roundabout and with my father-in-law, and anyway, so <laughs> it was like, why don't you just bring a map, and I was like, I don't know, I thought it was just be an adventure, right, you know, but there's risk and there's reward that kind of comes along with that, uh, but sometimes that reward of just kind of going where, um, you know, where the moment takes you, um, you don't know where it's going to lead, and sometimes there is is a great payoff. And so this is kind of what we're going to see for Peter um, in what he's doing. Uh, I mean, he's not going, you know, he's 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 doing what the Lord kind of wants him to do, but he's free to kind of move about however the Lord desires. Um, and so God was going to use that uh, to kind of move, you know, move on in the next act of His plan. Um, so the first kind of part is, is uh, when we get back to Peter in verse 32, and uh, kind of titled, titled this section, While in Luda, uh, that's how that's pronounced, L-Y-D-D-A, Lida is, but Luda. So it says in verse 32, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Luda, and there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Luda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So it says, uh, verse 32, Now as Peter went here and there, we just kind of finished off where Saul went up to Tarsus. They're like, you know, go back home, take some time off, and... uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you. We're actually going to see when we get back to Saul, it's going to be about another five years. Um, but it's going to be like, you know, a chapter, chapter later. Um, but they're like, all right, go back there. And we're kind of switching to kind of where, where Peter's at. And it says, you know, Peter went here and there among them all. <clears throat> and so we get this kind of idea that um, Peter has this itinerant nature. Um, when was the last time that we heard from Peter or saw Peter? You remember what he was doing, it's only a couple of chapters back, but where was that? It was before Philip, kind of in, in that mixing there, was that? Not Caesarea, that's where Philip ended up, but he was in Samaria, <laughs> Samaria, so remember Philip went to Samaria, shared the gospel, and then Peter uh, and the other apostles came to lay hands on them, and the Holy Spirit Kind of went on them. And lastly, actually, the last thing we hear from Peter is that he rebukes Simon the magician for trying to buy the Holy Spirit. And after that, um, after the Samarit- uh, Samaritans have, have uh, you know, have the Holy Spirit kind of um, have fall- has fallen upon them, we said that's just the external kind of that's a, a confirmation that God is moving and spreading and confirming that these people are a part of the church. It's not just those who are full Jews in Jerusalem who've converted to Christianity, but it is, and, and they wouldn't have necessarily thought it that, that way about converting to Christianity. It's just accepting their Messiah that God had always promised them, that it's now incorporating the Samaritans in there. And so that's the last we saw, and Peter was on his way back to Jerusalem, assumingly, and pray, preaching to the Samaritans as he went back. Um, and so... You know, that's the last that we heard from him, and it seems like Peter has, has kind of that, you know, again, nature. He's maybe going, you know, confirming what's going on, maybe checking up on other churches. And we see that as far as Peter, um, you know, sometimes Paul said, you know, when Peter was in Corinth. And so we know that Peter is going to travel to different places, um, 
likely again checking up on and you know just continuing the ministry at in different areas. And so it just says that as Peter's going here and there among them. Um, you know, if you know, if we kind of drew a line from like say Jerusalem is here and went slightly up west along the coast is a town named Joppa which is actually Peter will get to, but a little bit before that is where Luda is. Um, Samaria would be up kind of in this region. Actually, Samaria is going to be almost due north. And so he's kind of spreading out in this area. So you kind of get this kind of geographical, like maybe Peter's kind of staying within these confines and preaching and, and as the church is kind of expanding, because it hasn't quite yet gone beyond um, Israel, except for the eunuch. And other than that, we're not exactly sure um, from, from Scripture where the gospel's gone. So that's where he's headed. Again, probably three years later, as we know that, that those time events have kind of elapsed with Saul, that it's kind of just in the nature of the course of events, that, that next, um, it's what's going on with Peter. And so uh, it says that there in, in Luda, um, again, about two-thirds of the way uh, to Joppa. You guys remember Joppa, what, what the significance was of Joppa in the Old Testament? Maybe not to say significance, but you remember what happened in Joppa? Who went to Joppa? Who sailed from Joppa? Jonah, yeah. So Jonah, Jonah went to Joppa from Jerusalem. So he might have kind of followed that, that same, same pathway. Um, and so uh, instead of going the other direction to Assyria. But he meets a guy named Aeneas. And uh, so it says he found a man named Aeneas who's bedridden for eight years. So assumingly this guy's in bed. Um, and in a home, and it just says he found him. No idea like why he found him or where, what, what the reason is, but it says that he was there. Um, says that he was paralyzed for eight years. If he's paralyzed for eight years, what would that probably indicate about how he became paralyzed? What's that? So probably, you know, likely some accident, maybe some disease has left him paralyzed, but it wasn't something that he was born with. That's something that had, had, had onset him. But for eight years, which is a significant portion of his life, um, probably since maybe the beginning of Jesus's ministry up to about this time, uh, this man has been paralyzed. So you also know that um, he wasn't healed during Jesus's ministry. We're not exactly sure if Jesus made it to this, this area um, as well, but for that, that period of time, he has been bedridden. He's always in home, lying in bed. And he says to him, right, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. So what do we see about the nature of this healing? What's that? We've talked about this, you know, in other points, but just kind of to affirm what goes on when somebody is healed. What, what do we see about the nature of it? So it's an immediate healing, right? He does say immediately he rose up, right? There's no recovery period at all. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's just immediate. Um, what else? So it's verifiable, okay? Other people can attest to it. Other people attest, one, yes, he's been laying in bed. We don't think this is some sort of con. You know, eight years is enough time for us to pretty much assure that he hasn't gotten out of bed for eight years. Um, and... It's also verifiable the fact that he's, he's, he's gotten up. It's a physical injury that, you know, he's prone to then now, now he can actually do something. We don't know the extent of the, paral, you know, how, of the paralysis, um, you know, legs, arms, you know, whatever. But he's, he's up and, and he's making his bed. And what else do we kind of get from this idea? It was like bending in. It was, 
I won't repeat that into the microphone. So, <laughs> so um, from the appearance of perhaps, uh, but but different in that sense where it's complete as well, right? Um, as as you allude to, some of the things that that are all, that are talked about with uh, faith healers is that sometimes you know. Um, there are relapses in, uh, in, in those uh, healings and things like that, and it's based on faith. But this guy, not at all. And there's also maybe some evidence, and we don't, we don't see this specifically, that this guy might be an un- unbeliever. Um, when we get to the next kind of section in a few verses that we see the description about these disciples, well, this, this gentleman doesn't say anything about whether he's a disciple. It just says he's this, this man. And nothing about um, him following the Lord or anything like that. Also, there's something I'll, I'll point out in the kind of when we get to that in a few minutes, um, why also there's, there, there may be that indication. But what, is he, what does he point to? That this healing is done how? Like, or, or in whose power? Jesus. Right. And so he invokes Jesus' name, and he says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter, you know, remember, people, um, if we say you know, several years back, you know, three, four, five years back, as, as Peter is walking through uh, the streets, right, people are trying to touch, you know, get the sh- in, uh, in his shadow uh, just to be healed. Um, and so Peter wants to be clear that, that this is nothing about him and his power at all. And we're actually going to see this next week. Um, when he goes, goes to Cornelius, he, he wants to make it clear, this is not him at all, right? This is Jesus Christ who is healing him. That's another reason why I think maybe this guy, he, he has to point that out to him, that it's, this is Jesus Christ in whose name that you are healed. Again, not really knowing what the circumstances are. I see you're sick. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. <laughs> and so he gets up and immediately he's healed. And now, what happens? What do we see? We see kind of the purpose of this healing. Well, just maybe twofold. Purpose of the healing is one. There was a miraculous uh, revival. Yeah. And I think that's, that's primary. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say like primary because I think there's, there's kind of always coupled in a healing two, two different things. One, you see that these signs point to Jesus Christ and, and really who is Jesus Christ. When we see later in Acts, sometimes we see Jesus' name invoked in healings. Um, by Jesus' name, you are healed or driving out demons, those things. But Peter will say later on, and we'll see this uh, again either next week or the following at the end of chapter 10, that it is through Jesus' name that you are forgiven. And that is really the immediate thing. It's okay that, you know, great, you can go from paralysis to standing up and making your bed, but how, gr- how good is that, right, at the day of judgment? You made your bed, but, you know, you, you are now eternally damned. And so that's the main thing, is to point the people to Jesus Christ. And we know that there are, again, people still in darkness because, right, people are coming and hearing what's going on. So maybe there is a, a period of dormancy as far as gifts and healings and things like that. Um, What's going on? Because we do have that kind of fast forward a couple years. You know, there was that persecution, people fled. Um, but now, it says, all the residents of Luda and Sharon saw him. They saw this man, so they knew, right? I've, I've seen this guy. He's always been in bed. Um, but now I see him standing. And because of that, they turned to the Lord. Not for their own healing, physically, right? But for their spiritual healing. And that is is kind of the main point. And also, we do see that there is a 
kind of immediate compassion on healing this person. Um, he doesn't say, you know, I'm sorry, you just need the gospel and that's it. Peter, Peter is able to actually physically heal this man and give him something that uh, he wasn't given before. And so that's kind of while he's kind of going from here to there. He ends up being in this place, Luda, and uh, he heals a guy. And so people hear about it and kind of this, got this buzz. So, you know, if you're kind of writing your travel log, oh, yeah, when I was there, this happened, you know. And so Luke kind of writes that down um, uh, about, you know, what goes on. He kind of moves on to the next thing. We go, we're going to see, see him, him moving on to somewhere else. He's going to move on to Joppa, but we'll see the circumstances that, that, uh, Arise to that. So verse 36 says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Luda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. All right, we'll pause there. So it says that in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. So again, what does that term disciple mean? What's that? So a follower of Jesus, right? That term, you know, it means that they're a learner, right? That this is a person that is, in, is, is not a leader of the church, but one who is following and learning about Jesus. Um, it's usually what that, that term kind of uh, describes. That the gospel had spread to Joppa. Uh, we know that Philip, after he had um, preached to the eunuch a few years earlier, um, he went up along the coast up to Caesarea, and he would have gone through Joppa uh, and stopped in Joppa, and so said he preached there. So we don't know, again, if, if again why he was moved in this area kind of led to these people being saved, and this person, you know, maybe that's how all these things connect together. Not exactly sure. Luke is just, again, describing events that are unfolding, but we start seeing things kind of connect Right, people intersecting and uh, cities kind of intersecting, but we know that there is a church that uh, and people that are following Jesus that are there in Joppa. So Tabitha is her name. Um, her Greek name is Dorcas, and and there's uh, you know sometimes again people are referred to uh, by their Jewish name or by their Greek name depending on who they're interacting with um, because names usually meant something, and so the term Dorcas. Uh, translated, also Tabitha translated, uh, means gazelle. So her name meant gazelle, and in Greek, Dorcas was the word for gazelle. And so uh, indicates maybe that Joppa, and it would seem fitting that on the coast, that it's a kind of a mixed Jewish-Gentile area, that they would have some of that Greek-speaking uh, influence being on the Mediterranean, so she would have been referred to as Dorcas, and we'll see that a little bit later, that that's what they call her. Peter calls her by her, her uh, Jewish name. Um, but we see some, you know, she, she falls ill <clears throat> and she died. Now, how is, it, how is it that she was described at the end of verse 36? <clears throat> so, full of good works and charity, acts of charity, right? It's kind of similar <clears throat> to maybe Stephen. Um, he was full of wisdom and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but a little bit different uh, because her description, and we'll see this as you know, we get through, uh, you know, as, as if you look in other places of Scripture and you look at spiritual gifts, that not everybody is gifted in the same way. 
and Tabitha. Um, she says that she was full of good works and acts of charity or mercy or compassion. Uh, how that verse can that word can be translated? Um, some yeah, I don't know if, if you just kind of had to translate that in modern terms. What would you say? Somebody who is full of good works and charity and compassion. Do you know anybody like that? <laughs> we need more of those people, right? But. There's just those people that you, know, that, that you know that are always helpful, always giving, always serving, always in that way. You know, um, what's that? A Christian, a Christian right? You know? uh, I, think of, I think of sometimes students, you're just like, yeah, she's just a sweet girl. She's very helpful. She's, you know, and that's, that's just maybe how like, they would have thought of her. You know, maybe she's a very behind-the-scenes person, you know, just, again, serving, not wanting to be the front person, like, not going out and preaching and, and, you know, not arguing with those in the synagogue. She's just, you know, using the gifts that God has given her. And we'll see how the impact that, uh, that it has in just a second. Well, what happens, it says she fell ill. She died, again, normally in the course of events, although falling ill, um, uh, unexpected. Um, but she, she died. And so uh, it says that, that uh, after she died, they washed her. And where do they take her? Into an upper room. Now, where would you expect that they would take her? What's that? To a cemetery. To a, to a cemetery, right? That's typically where, you know, every time you see somebody die, you know, maybe they took her to a room to prepare her, but then it's always on to the next place, usually going to a tomb uh, or, you know, a place to be buried. But here is, let's put her in a room for now, and let's send some men off. Because, right, the, the disciples there, the others there, they had... Something else in mind. What do you think that something else in mind? What does it say? What's that? I'm sorry, what would you say? They want a reviver. So they're going to go to where? To go to get Peter, right? Now how would they know where Peter's at? What's that? They heard about it, right? Because what happened? He healed someone, right? They're like, well, if he can heal somebody who's been paralyzed for eight years, you know, like Jesus, maybe he could heal somebody who has died, like Jesus, right? So it's very, and it's very similar to what account uh, in Jesus' life that you see, right? Lazarus. And so they go and they say, hey, can you come? And, uh, you know, after, after he died and... You know, Peter immediately comes instead of, instead of waiting. But it reminds you, you know, of, of what happened to Lazarus. So they put her in an upper room and they're like, let's wait. For Lazarus, right, they put him in a tomb because that was, again, what was expected. And they just said, hey, can you come? Like, he's died. So, so some of them had that faith but hadn't experienced yet about him raising people from the... Although Jesus did, right? There was a girl that, fell, that, that was ill that, that died that he raised from the dead. But not maybe, you know, in these same terms, right? Um, so, so Jesus said, I want to make sure that this guy's dead. He's already in a tomb before I go up there so that people will know that, that I have the power to raise people from the dead. And here, they're going to go to Peter and uh, get her to come to revive her. So what do we see in the events happen? Verse 39, so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened up her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. 
And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Okay, so Peter rose. Uh, what does that maybe likely indicate? What was his positioning? Could be sleeping, yes. Could be sitting. Could be praying. Could be in some, some position that, again, he was probably busy doing something. Right? They'd be either busy sleeping, they had to come to him and say, you know, can you come? Now, does he say, I'll come, I'll come in a little bit. I'm kind of busy right now. Or, you know. It says that he got up, right? He rose, and that he went with them. And so when he went with them, um, that uh, he goes to this room, and it says that um, there were widows, uh, and that they showed him something. What was it that they showed Peter? Yeah. So the things that, that, that Tabitha had made, or they refer to her as Dorcas uh, by her Greek name, um, that why do you think that they are showing Peter these things? To show how kind and good she was. Okay. To show how kind, right? They, they have, you know, she's... Um, these widows are there, right? It says that they're weeping. It was typical for when somebody had died um, that there would be uh, women that gathered to kind of lament and to, to weep, um, to show kind of their mourning, their outward mourning and display. We saw Jesus kind of going through the mourners uh, when he went to heal the, the girl who had died and they kind of laughed at him. So he said that she's just sleeping, remember? And they're like, you know, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, and then... He, sent them away and, and healed her. And so in this case, though, uh, they've got all the things. They're, they're weeping. They're, you know, she's died. Um, typically when people died, they stayed dead. Um, but they have all the things that she had made for them, right? Which shows how, how, how you know, um, kind she was, how precious she was to them. Um, it would just be like, you know, again, if you would get, went to a funeral, you're kind of clinging on to something that is that connection of remembrance to this person, um, and that there are all these widows there. Again, the widows are, you know, we've seen, if we go back a couple chapters, and again, this is kind of a Greek-speaking area, um, that the, the widows were often uh, neglected, um, maybe a less marginalized group of people, and Tabitha ministered to them as best she could, right, during, during the time that she had, because she was just full of mercy. She was full of compassion. She was full of these gifts of charity. And so um, these widows are mourning. So what, did, what does it say that Peter does? Sent them out, and then did what? He knelt down, and he prayed, right? And then he tells her to what? Right, to rise, to get up, similar to what we saw before. Um, this reminds me of uh, when Jesus had just come from the Mount of Transfiguration, right, with uh, Peter, would have been with him, and John and James. And they came down, they had just seen this glorious experience, and there was this demonic uh, boy who was throwing himself in the fire, and the other disciples were like, we can't, you know, we couldn't heal him. Um, we don't know what's going, you know, what's going on. And Jesus, he replies, he heals them. And he replies and says, you have little faith, right? And he says, this, you know, kind of, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you'd be able to move mountains. Um, 
and just implies that idea. Well, in Mark, he kind of adds a little bit more. Like they go to, the, to a house nearby and they ask him, well, why couldn't we heal him? And he says, this kind of, um, you know, uh, this healing is something that only prayer, and some versions say, and fasting could drive out. So this demon, he said, this is only something that prayer could drive out. And I think that kind of stuck with Peter, right? Peter, you know, obviously in his ministry would have known the importance of prayer, um, but also he, he had just healed someone and raised someone from the dead in Jesus' name, but knew this is kind of a bigger thing. Probably praying, you know, uh, sends him out to pray in order to um, heal Tabitha. Now, how is this similar to the account in Aeneas? They were both told to what? Get up. To get up, right? You know, he, says, he says, get up. Now, how is this different? What are some of the things that, that are a little bit different with these? So she's dead, okay. So she's dead, and the other guy's not, okay. So, um, but he, he speaks to both of them like they are alive and that they can hear him, right? Which is kind of the interesting thing, right? She's dead, so it's, but he tells her, get up. Um, just like Jesus said that same thing to Lazarus. Um, so he speaks to him in the same way. She's dead, and, and he's not. Um, what else? She's a believer, we know that, she's a disciple. And so does he what does he not say that he says to Aeneas? In the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. And that's really why I think, you know, again, I'm not gonna you know die on any hill about this. Why well, I think that the, the gentleman earlier uh, may not have been saved at that time because he has to tell him it's in Jesus' name that I heal you. Um, Tabitha says in Jesus What's that? He says in Jesus heals That Jesus heals you. Jesus heals you. So, uh, you're talking about in uh, earlier in in uh, Aeneas. Yes, Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you. True, true. Uh, later on, he'll say in the name of Jesus. So you're right. In here, he says Jesus Christ heals you specifically. So he knows who is the one that is healing him. Tabitha would have known who to attribute her healing to. That it is is through Jesus' power because she knows Jesus, because she is a disciple of Jesus. Again, we can pause back and say, what's the purpose of this healing? Uh, immediately, it's Peter is responding to a request to heal her. And uh, God also uses it to spread what's going, going on. Because in verse 42, we see something similar. It became known all throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. We see similarities in that, that God uses these healings for others to spread the, the, the name and power of Jesus Christ uh, so people will know. And so the purpose of though, both of these is to kind of, you know, for God for, to move Peter from one place to another. And we're going to see the ultimate place that he's going to go. Um, well, he's going to continue his journeys. But we're going to see kind of this last purpose, which is a big significant event in the church, beginning in chapter 10. So let's read the kind of the beginning of those verses, and we'll pick this up, uh, the rest of it up in, next week. So we see, at Caesarea, there was a na- man named Cornelius. So meanwhile, in Caesarea, while Peter's down in Joppa, he's spending some time with this man, another Simon. This one is a, a tanner. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. 
a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So, uh, Caesarea, we kind of mentioned it a little bit ago, but who went to Caesarea? That we saw before. Yeah, Philip made, it, made his way to Caesarea. Um, so, uh, Caesarea is up the coast from Joppa, um, about, it depends on the source you look at, but about 40 miles, 35 miles um, from Joppa, uh, north um, along the coast of the Mediterranean. And we see a gentleman named Cornelius. What does it say about who Cornelius is? What, what's the description? What's his job? So he's a centurion, right, which comes from the word uh, for century, which means a hundred. So he's a Roman leader of a hundred men in the army there. Um, uh, that he is one of uh, 60 officers in the Roman Empire that would be in these positions uh, over these uh, uh, centuries. And it says he's a part of the Italian cohort. So a cohort is 600 men. So if he is in charge of 100, there would be six of those that would make up the Italian cohort. And 10 cohorts made up a legion of men. So he had a prominent place in this Italian cohort, and he was a leader um, in the Roman army. Uh, he would have been a, uh, uh, a Gentile, but he's described uh, in other terms. What does it say spiritually in verse 2? Uh, how is he described? What words are used to describe his character? Okay. So it says devout, which is, uh, could be uh, translated as reverence or sometimes godly. Um, in this context, we see devout because uh, uh, of you know, the nature of, of what he believed. Um, what else does it say about him? Okay, he gave alms, or what's that? He fears the Lord. Okay, so he has a proper understanding of, of who God is. What's that? He believes. He believes. Um, it says that he gives alms, which is giving to the poor, right? And uh, was known throughout the, uh, throughout the community. Um, and that he also prays continually. Um, the way that these, these uh, kind of descriptions are li- linked together by Luke indicates that uh, Cornelius probably worshipped God in the Old Testament sense, um, but had not been circumcised to be a Jewish proselyte. Um, so he was not maybe converted yet, that he still looked at as a Gentile. But spiritually, he believed you know, everything that about the one true God that was spoken of in the Old Testament. His character is that he is obedient to what God desires. His heart is to giving to the poor. And he fears God, knows that God is in charge, um, even though he's in charge of, of uh, you know, these men, of a hundred men, that it's God who is rightly in charge of his life, and that he continually prays to God and communicates to God and speaks to God. And so you know, this guy, in all sense, would be elder material. Um, just not a part of the part of the church yet, right? So he's 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 got all of those things. He's just not heard about Jesus Christ. The verse three it says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. 
he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So what time is it? It says it's the ninth hour. You guys remember what, what time that would be? Okay, good. 3 p.m., right? Starting at 6 a.m., nine hours would be 3 p.m. So what does that indicate? It's not what? He gets his vision, but is he sleeping? I guess maybe he could be, but uh, so it's late in the day, but it's not darkness yet. Um, what happens? So he receives this vision. Likely, you know, it says he continually, you know, he is, he's a person who is continually in prayer, right? Prays continually to God. And so it's likely while he is praying that he sees this vision. But he gets a vision, um, and what's his vision of? Or who's his vision of? An angel of the Lord. And what was Cornelius' reaction to him? Fearful, right? And that's a typical reaction that we see when an angel of the Lord is uh, in the presence of, of a person who fears God. They usually fear with this, this angel because they know what the angel could represent. It's usually um, the description when you see someone come in contact with an angel. And what is it that he replies? What does he say to him? What does, he, uh, what does Cornelius say to the angel? Yeah, what is it, Lord? And what, who does this sound similar to that we saw at the uh, beginning of this chapter? Saul, right? He's blinded. Here's someone speaking to him. And he says, you know, what are you speaking about, Lord? Right? Similar, similar terminology. And so, again, this idea that it's, it's a reverence um, and that it's a, an act of humility to see and hear what this person or this angel is saying. And what does the angel say? So, all the things that you've done, right, the, things, the, the prayers that you've lifted up to him and the gifts that you've given to the poor, God hears and sees and is pleased with that. It is a memorial or a remembrance to God. It's an acceptable sacrifice before God. All of these things. It harkens back to um, you know, Romans 12.1, right? Let your... Um, just blanked out, right? Let your be acceptable sacrifice. Let your worship be a uh, what's that living sacrifice? I'm totally totally blanked on that. Um, that our our lives are to be an acceptable sacrifice to God, and in, in what we do and worship in our heart and our service to God um, in the, in all of these things. And so he says that Cornelius, essentially, all the things that you're doing is has been heard from God, has been pleased by God. And he tells them, you know, I want you to send men to Joppa. And so, um, how specific is the information that the angel gives? <laughs> Very specific. Again, what we saw exactly earlier on in chapter 9, the things that, or sorry, in the previous chapter, now we're in chapter 10, of uh, the things that Saul was, uh, when um, 
uh, Ananias was asked to go to Saul. He said, go there, you'll find a man who's praying uh, on the street named Straight, and you'll see him, and you're going to lay your hands on him. He's been blinded. And so he gives them very specific information about where to go. Essentially, here's the address. You're going to find a guy named Simon who's staying with a guy named Simon who is a tanner who lives on the coast in Joppa. I think I give you enough details. You guys can go find him. And so he gives them very specific directions. And so Cornelius responds to this, and, he, and, and immediately uh, sends men to go. And so who does he send? says he sends three people. Two were what? So two were servants of his, and one was a devout soldier. So uh, we have the idea that if he sends one of his soldiers, right, that, that now um, uh, there's kind of an official capacity to this, that he knows that the soldier will make sure that they're protected, that they'll get from where they need to be, that they won't be stopped along the way, um, and he has the ability and the authority to do that. Instead of just sending two servants alone, he sends a soldier to go with them, and now they're able to, to go down and directly find who they need to find um, in order to, uh, uh, to complete, I guess, this mission that, that Cornelius has been given. And so when are they supposed to go? <laughs> Immediately, right? He says, I want you to go, go now. And so he sends them off. It's about 30 to 40 miles uh, south of there. Um, and it takes about two days, you know, if you're walking on foot, uh, if you traveled, you know, 20 miles, um, 20 miles a day, uh, walking about eight hours at a good pace, it takes about two days. We'll see, they do it about a day and a half. They were leaving at three in the afternoon, okay, roughly, maybe a little bit later, right, after, after he gets the vision and then, you know, uh, gets these men. And then they go, and they're going to travel, presumably through the night, um, or at least late, and who knows, maybe stop over, but we're going to find out and pick it up from the day's events because they get there the next day, um, in order to find out and to find Simon. Now, they don't know what's going to happen after this um, and what this is going to lead to. All Cornelius knows is that, get this guy, and I want you to find him and bring him to me. So Peter, though, gets, uh, is, again, as he's traveling around, he gets to Luda. He heals somebody in Joppa. Uh, Tabitha passes away. They hear that Peter's there. They send for Peter. Peter goes to Joppa. Joppa's, you know, spending some time there. He hasn't moved on to the next place. And along those lines, Cornelius has been told, I want you to go and get this man who's not too far from you, only, you know, about a two days journey. And I want you to bring him up. And we're going to see how God's going to kind of move in this kind of final phase of his plan in order to reach those to bring them into the church. Peter's just being obedient to where he's been sent and where he's going. Um, and uh, we see how God, again, kind of orchestrates all these events. You know, one thing's happening here and another thing's happening here and something's happening up here. And Peter's just kind of responding and going as God is orchestrating all these things. God orchestrated, you know, that man to be paralyzed for eight years. God orchestrated Tabitha um, for her to pass away at that time. And all of these events are being connected for not only God's uh, for, for you know, God to use those things to proclaim his son because people are being saved as these other people are being healed. And we're going to see now that Cornelius has been singled out uh, specifically um, to hear Peter preach the gospel. And we're going to get that next week.